0: good morning, Charged Up Studio listeners. Welcome back once again to another episode where you get charged up for success. I'm Dana Olivo, your host and CEO of Market Academy LLC. Today's special guest will be talking about how to exit your business. Now, you're probably thinking, why am I listening to someone talking about exiting my business when I'm just getting started, right? The fact of the matter is that as a business owner, your exit strategy is one of the very first strategies that should be addressed when launching a new business. Your exit strategy sets the tone and the roadmap for how you will grow your business to achieve your ultimate goals. Marvin Storm has founded, acquired, and scaled businesses in the equipment leasing, business services, IT, and franchise sectors for the past four decades. After exiting his last business, he planned to enjoy life and retire. But after a brief stint in the slow lane, he realized that sitting on the sidelines was not in his style. After considering his options, he felt that leveraging his decades of startup, operational, and C-suite experience would help entrepreneurs scale, create, and then execute profitable business exit strategies. With this in mind, he launched the Business Exit Stories podcast, fellow podcaster here, where he interviews mergers and acquisition advisors investment bankers, business brokers, and other transactional professionals inviting them to share war stories of their good, bad, and ugly deals for the benefits of entrepreneurs who are in the early stages of thinking about the positioning of their business for an eventual exit. He's also developed strategies entrepreneurs need to be able to double the money they put in their pocket when they sell their business. Marv has and continues to serve on numerous company boards of directors, consults with entrepreneurs on their exit strategies, provides expertise, witness, testimony, and litigation arbitration cases, and is a frequent speaker, exit coach, author, and podcaster. Let's all please welcome to Charged Up Studio, Mr. Marvin Storm. With the Business Exit Stories podcast. Hello, Marvin, and welcome.
1: Yeah, it's been great. Uh, that's a lengthy introduction there. And one yeah, of the things You said there is he, <laughs> you, you you talk about four decades. Makes you sound like a guy that's got his cane out. And uh,
0: Hey, I'm, know, in, kind of I'm wobbling right up there, there. with you. <laughs> I'm right up there with you. You know, I got 35, yeah, but, 36 uh, years in this business. So, you know, yeah, I know exactly well, uh, what you mean.
1: So We do get a little gray hair along the way, and uh, we do learn a few things, don't we?
0: We do, and that's why we're in the positions that we're at now in helping these micro-business owners is because we can say, been there, done that, hold the trophy for it, right? Yeah. So Charged Up Studio audience is made up of small micro-business owners, and to be thinking about exiting our business when we're just starting out seems almost to be a downer. Before we get started with our questions, tell our audience a little bit about who you are so that we can gain some insight on who Marvin is and why are you so passionate about your podcast and helping small businesses?
1: Well, I can tell you one thing. I am passionate about this uh, whole topic is because it is probably one of the key uh, components of people not being able to monetize years, if not decades, and sometimes a lifetime of hard work. I have seen, especially since I started doing the podcast, where I talk to people that are the deal makers, the people that facilitate uh, companies of all sizes, you know, one man operations up to, you know, companies that are fairly good sized. Uh, And the common thread that uh, is through all of these stories that are told on the podcast by these, these people that make the deals happen is as a general rule, regardless of the size of the business, uh, the business owner, the entrepreneur uh, doesn't take the exit uh, seriously enough to start thinking about it way in advance. And that is it, it's kind of like going to the Super Bowl. If for those sports fans out there, I mean, I, I love football. I watch football all the time, probably too much of it. But I, I love the game because it's one of strategy and it's one of trying to think about what your opponent is going to do and putting up defenses or offensive screens to try to outfox the guy on the other side of the line. And uh, no, no one, no coach, no team would ever start a season without that goal out there of getting to the Super Bowl. That's the trophy. That's the that's the end game. That's what everyone is working for. And we just, you know, kind of finished up at the World Series. And every sport has their culminating tournament. You know that wow. the the champion is crowned. And entrepreneurs, the culminating event is generally when they step away from their business and they monetize all that hard work. And yet so few people really think about that. Right. I'll go back to my metaphor of the, you know, starting the season, uh, whatever sport you're in, you talk about the championship, you talk about what it's going to take to get there and you start planning and practicing and executing and staffing your team with the right players and the coaches to help you. And and it is all toward that one goal of, you know, winning that championship. And yeah. so from a, a sports metaphor perspective, that's what an entrepreneur should do. They should start thinking about that championship. And that championship, metaphorically, is when they're going to monetize their hard work and sell their business. And I don't care if you yeah. are a one-man show operating out of your home office, or you have hundreds or dozens of employees, whatever the circumstances are, uh, the process is always the same. You're going to have to monetize your hard work one way or another, or you're just going to have to wind it down step away from it. And I have some really interesting stories that are shared on the podcast of people who thought their business wasn't worth anything because they were the business. Right. They were the only person in the business and they didn't think their business had a lot of value and they were in the process of winding it down. And when I sit down and chat with them, I say, gee, you have a lot of value here. And they would have walked away by selling their hard assets for $10,000, $20,000. And after reformatting and making a different presentation, they walked away with several hundred thousand dollars.
0: Wow. Interesting. You know, um, I've always, uh, as a strategist, okay, I've always had that strategic mindset. And that's probably why I read a lot of military Navy SEAL books, you know, and stuff like that. You know, it does, it doesn't hurt the fact that the the men are very buff, you know, and stuff like that. But um, the fact of the matter is, is same in sports, okay, as in military and everything, you're working towards an end goal, but with a team of individuals too. It's not just Mm -hmm. one. And that's important to understand as well when we're talking about your exit strategy and growth of your business is you've got to incorporate that team around you that owns um, the the vision and the goal, right?
1: Absolutely. Uh, You know, you you use the military uh, example of, uh, you know, Winston Churchill said that, you know, your game plan is great. You know, you have your battle plan and your strategy all set out. And that plan is really solid and locked down until the first shot is fired. And then it goes out the window. Uh, But, you know, and it's the same with a business. I mean, I'm not saying or suggesting that someone, you know, pick a date that's going to be you know, January first of two thousand and forty, that they're going to step away from their business and that becomes a line in the sand. No, but you have a general idea of a time window and it's going to change a dozen times. But your mm-hmm. your 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 frame of mind and how you think about your business is different when you're planning for a future event. That's the right. bottom line.
0: And and that's exactly it. And you have to plan for those unexpected hurdles. You know, and that's where, you know, myself as a sequencing strategist, you know, we are looking ahead and we're thinking about, okay, what if this happened? What other option do we have to go around or mitigate what could be stopping us, you know? And um, so that's that's all part of the exit strategy as well. You know, it's like taking a trip from Florida to go to California, all right, without knowing where you're going to sleep. When are you going to make your stops to eat? You know, how much, when are you going to have to stop for gas? And timing it so that you can efficiently make it across the country. So maybe you stop for gas at the same time that you go to eat or, you know, or something to that effect, you know. Uh, So streamlining the process. So there are only so many hours in the day. Why would time, why would we spend time planning on exiting our businesses when we're building business we're busy building it
1: well i think that's the biggest misconception that people uh years ago i was in a round table type of discussion and and uh there were other people in the group and one of the gentlemen there was a little bit older than everybody else and had some gray hair and experienced and everyone kind of you know deferred to him because of his status in the group and and he made the comment that stuck with me for a long time he said you know, just run a great business and the exit will take care of itself. And I thought, well, that makes sense, you know. And for a long time, I bought into that strategy and that thought process is that just run your business and the exit will take care of itself. The problem is the data doesn't support that. The more I got involved in this and went through my own exits, it just doesn't work out that way because most events are, uh, most exits or sales are event-driven. That means there's an external event It may be a bad diagnosis from your doctor that creates an emergency situation where you got to start thinking about what happens to the business. It may be a problem with a partner, maybe a new competitor that enters the business or a change in technology, any list of things that get you thinking about selling the business. And generally speaking, uh, your sales have plateaued and started to tail off and your profits have dropped. And then you think I should sell. Absolutely the wrong time to. get ready to sell your business. Yeah. You want to sell it at the top. (laughs) You want to sell it before you get to the top. So that the buy person buying it sees that top up there. And there's some opportunity. You don't want to wait until the top because timing the market, just like in the stock market, timing, the market is hard to do if not impossible, but you, you you should, uh, it's the thought process, you know, that person that said that the exit will take care of itself, uh, yeah. Yeah, it does happen, but it isn't the norm. It isn't the statistically how many businesses sell at the way that he he envisioned it. So it doesn't take a lot of time. The the fallacy is, is that people, like you said, as your earlier comments is why do I want to think about selling? I'm so busy right. and buried right now. I don't have time to think about selling my business. That's going to have years down the road. That's true. It's mm-hmm. a thought process, though. Yeah. It's how you think about it. It's not good, you I'm not saying you should spend a lot of time, you know, five, 10 hours a week planning for your exit when you, have, you don't know when it's going to happen specifically, but it's a thought process. When you're, when you're negotiating a lease, if you have uh, a business that requires a physical location, uh, it's it's the terms of that lease because that's going to be pretty critical when someone is going to be able to assume or not assume that lease down the road, and it may have a, a pretty profound impact on the valuation of your business. Right. It's who you hire, it's the processes that you put in place. It's a thought process. And thought processing doesn't take a lot of time. You just you just process and do things according to your strategy. Uh, and how you make decisions—that's all I'm talking about here. If you if you have this process and strategy in mind, you make different types of decisions uh, as you're moving toward that eventual exit. You don't want to paint yourself in the corner by having right. agreements and the wrong people and the wrong processes in place, because the guy on the other side of the table that is talking about buying your business—he uh, does—he sees the. Lack of organization, the lack of having the right people, too much concentration of revenue, all the things. And he's he may not even be interested in your business, or he's certainly going to give you a low ball offer, not what you want.
0: Right. Well, and and you made a, a, a very um, impactful comment there. We we want to exit before we reach the top. On the on the upswing. Okay. And in order to do that, because- we have to. We have to understand, you know, when do I want to get out? I have to know or have some kind of a plan on when I want to get out. Is it 10 years, 15 years down the road so that I can time and try and time my exit strategy? Okay, so we work growth up until, you know, maybe a year or so beforehand and making sure everything is in place for this, right?
1: Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with your comment there and, yeah. and the thought process is because I've, I've often asked uh, you know, entrepreneurs and people that are growing their business and they're thinking about selling and, and we're talking about valuing the business. And of course, every entrepreneur thinks their business is worth a whole lot more right. uh, than it probably really is. Uh, because they equate all the hard work, the blood, sweat, and tears, and time they've invested into the business, and they get emotionally tied to growing the business, and they know how much money and they've invested, and they say, "Well, I invested this money; uh, I at least should get this plus, you know, that again, you know, for the value of my business." Well, that right. isn't how businesses are valued. And so I've often asked uh, someone that I've chatted with that has this kind of frame of mind and their thought process and how much their business is worth. And I've asked them, if you were sitting on the other side of the table, negotiating to buy your business, knowing what you know now, would you write the check for the business? Knowing what you know now, would, would you pay for that? And would you borrow the money to buy your business? And, uh, you know, they kind of shuffle their feet or look down at the table and say, you know, that's a very good point. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would or not, you know, because they they know uh, what the, where the skeletons are buried and what's good right. and bad about the right. business. And the buyer is going to dig down and do due diligence and ask some very tough questions. And so you just have to be realistic and right. you, you you have to think like a buyer. That's probably the... One of the things that I would suggest that most people don't do that they should do is think like a buyer of the business. what what would you want to see right. if you were going to buy your business and then right. act accordingly?
0: Right. Now, um, clear up some some it might be misconceptions. it might be uh, uh, you know misunderstanding or whatever. When we talk about valuation, Okay, of a company current valuation, not future valuation. Okay, you said it perfectly. You know, a lot of uh, business owners think their companies are worth much more than what they are should be valued much more than what they are, and what they're Mm -hmm. doing is they're basing it on future revenues, Mm -hmm. a great deal of it. And unless they have those historical revenues to back up on, it's it's really you know it's only worth what it is right now in generating revenue. And then the other thing is, is can you clear up the multipliers sometime when it comes to, you know, figuring out valuation?
1: Great question. Uh, something that's not all that well understood by no, business it's owners. it's um, It's really, it, I'm gonna give you a, a, an unsatisfactory answer here probably because it depends. It depends yeah. on what industry you're in. Right. Different industries have different multiples of what they're worth, of what is standard within the niche or the vertical of the business. If you're in retail, uh, if you're in food service, if you're in manufacturing, if you're a distributor, uh, construction company, each of those verticals have a different uh, metrics of how those businesses are valued and what, uh, is going to be the multiplier of the bottom line. You know, your, mm-hmm. what it's referred to as EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, and amortization of what your net earnings are going to be. And it may be two, it may be five, it may be seven times uh, multiplier on that, uh, depending on the industry. So you have to sort of understand what where you're at within the business community you know, of all businesses, and then what vertical you're in, and what size you're in. Right. Uh, so businesses with under a million dollars of revenue have a set multiple that is generally accepted uh, for multiple. If you get up to $5 million, it's a different multiple, because there are different dynamics involved. Right. Generally speaking, those businesses with uh Higher revenues means higher profits, and there's more money to service debt. And so it's easier to borrow and buy a business at that level. And so there's a lot of factors involved. But the bottom line really is is that you need to really focus on uh, being positioned for not only a narrow set of buyers, but the widest universe of buyers that you can find. And one of the things that I chat about a lot when I speak or consult with uh, you know, business owners that are starting to think about that eventual exit is what type of buyer is going to buy your business? There's basically three buckets that buyers fall into. One is the, I have to be here every day to run the business buyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if the business is a, you know, entrepreneur run business where he's making all the decisions and uh, the type of buyer that's going to best fill that role is someone just like him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's relatively a small universe of people, quite frankly. And uh, it may be they have to have experience in your niche and your vertical, or they may have licensing requirements uh, if you're Mm -hmm. a contractor or something like that. Uh, There are some issues. So the type of person you're looking for is is relatively rare. And you may only have in your market that you're trying to sell into maybe a dozen people. And maybe only three or four of them would be even interested in buying your business. And you you may not have a whole bunch of people banging on the door wanting to buy your business. So there's not a lot of competition for your business. However, if you think about... uh, uh, p- uh, opening it up a little bit and looking to replace yourself in your business. And this is one of those things that you probably chat with your people and the people you work with mm-hmm. is to kind of replace yourself. So you don't have to be there every day. When you make that one strategic change within your business that you don't have to come in every day, you can come in every other day or take a two week or a month vacation and the business doesn't collapse because there's somebody else that's competent or more competent than you you know, being the general manager and running the Mm -hmm. business or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, you open your uh, universe of buyers to a a multiple of 10. Wow. People that want to buy a business that you're not essential to uh, is 10 times more. Right. And so you, you have financial buyers that are looking for just good businesses that they can invest money in and buy and have somebody else run it either bring in the person that they want to replace you or you already have that person in place that they can just continue to have in, in place and you're not essential to the business and they're going to get an internal rate of return on their investment and that, that, and they're looking for your businesses and there's a whole bunch of people out there like that. There's more money out there today in today's market and the low interest rate environment that we're in right now uh, just sitting on the sidelines pounding the pavement looking for good businesses to buy. So if that's the case, then a smart entrepreneur will think, well, then what I need to do is get myself into that arena. You know, uh, I have a, a high school football field here. I need to get into the college football arena over here where there's 50,000 people at the game instead of 200. You know?
0: Exactly. Exactly. And,
1: uh, and then there's another level. The third bucket is strategic buyers right. that aren't so concerned about your metrics, but you have something that they want. They have a customer base of a million people or whatever, or 100,000 people or 10,000 people. And those people need your product. And uh, I have a, some phenomenal stories on the podcast of people getting 10X of what the financial metrics that you would have, if they had sold to a financial buyer, they would have gotten X, but they were able to take some time and position their sales presentation and approached buyers in their same niche that needed what they had, and they got 10x of wow. what they were. Wow. And the reason was, is that the company that was, that was initially approached, uh, you went out and approached all the competitors in the business that might be interested in you as a strategic acquisition. Uh, one of them that showed initial interest, Uh, realized very quickly that they could make their money back in a year or less, maybe maximum two years, because the product could be offered to their customer base. And just using very conservative numbers of adoption and people that would buy that would more than offset the cost of what they would pay for the company as a whole. And that's just the first year or two. Right. they'd They'd own it for decades. But more importantly, they didn't want the competitor to buy it. They didn't want to have the competitor to have that product and that service of the company. So they were willing to pay up to keep the competitor out of the game. They wanted to lock down that. And they wrote a big check uh, to keep the competitor away. And so that's where a strategic acquisition makes a lot of sense. Now, you may, people listening to the podcast here will say, well, gee, that's, that's beyond my pay grade. I can't be a strategic acquisition. Don't think that is yeah. always yeah. the case. Yeah. You'll be surprised. You'll be yeah. surprised.
0: No, that's exactly it. You know, and uh, just some minor tweaks in your business may put you in that strategic position. You know, absolutely. Yeah. So why would I use a business broker or M and A advisor, mergers and acquisition advisor, to help sell my business? You know, when I when I know who is interested in buying it.
1: Well, I often use the, the example of, uh, you don't find a brain surgeon operating on his own brain. You know, he has somebody else do it. Right. Uh, right. And, you know, there is the do it yourself, uh, option. And I'll give you one example on the podcast, uh, someone brought to the table and shared a story on the podcast. Uh, and these are professionals that do this every day, all day long. Um, uh, he said, they, uh if you got a good business, you're going to get inbound traffic. When I had my business, I would get calls all the time from people looking and teasing. We're interested in buying your business. We'd like to chat with you. And I wasn't interested in selling at the time. And I would say, no, nah, not really interested. Don't have the time. Uh, give me, you know, send me an email. I'll keep your name. And when that time comes, I'll give you a call type of thing. Well, the story that I'll share with you here is that this company got this inbound Call and it was just right timing for him. He was thinking about selling his business. He had interest from a strategic buyer mm-hmm. that wanted to buy his business. Uh, so he just opened up discussions with the buyer, uh, and uh, they went just almost down to the table of him wrapping it up and selling the business in the pandemic hit. <laughs> uh, and, oh my
0: God! And
1: so everything stopped in the world, you know, in 2020, March, February, April of 2020, the world stopped, hit pause, and said, "Okay, what's what's happening here?" Well, in the M and A field, in the business brokerage field, uh, that pause lasted for four to six months, and then it was off to the races. Wow. Uh, for certain types of businesses. Not every business thrived in that environment. There were a lot of businesses mm-hmm. that did. But to make the point is that the they walked away, and I won't do bold, but we're talking, you know, we'll say X again. Yeah. The, the strategic buyer was going to offer X. Well, when everything shut down, then the, the the entrepreneur was in the frame of mind he wanted to sell his business, especially in the uncertainty. Uh, that the Potemac brought. So he engaged an m and advisor and brought him in a business broker type person. And they uh, repositioned and reformatted the presentation uh, to uh, how, who they were going to approach. And they went back out six months later. Uh, and after they had marketed for two to three months, they had four or five people at the table wow. uh, interested in buying the business. The same guy, the same company that had offered to buy the business for X ended up paying 3X for the same business nine months later because the business broker was able to create the positioning and create competition uh, for for that business and to paint a much bigger opportunity picture that even the guy that had the business didn't really realize what he was sitting on and yeah. uh, the, the 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 expert was just much more familiar on how to package it and go to market so the question always is do i want to pay you know someone a commission or a success fee to sell my business you know that's a lot of money you know it, do i really want to do that well if you have the right advisor that understands and has experience and has a network of people that he already knows that might be interested in your business, it's probably worth the effort. It's it's
0: going to be cheaper in the the long run to pay them
1: than to spend the time that it's It's, going to
0: take for you to build up that network and stuff. So what if I have employees and I'm thinking of selling my business, should I be telling them?
1: Big question. That's the... The conundrum that every entrepreneur, uh, you know, faces, should I share it with my team or should I not? And it's, as a general rule, probably not, you should not do that, uh, creates all, because what, what an employee is, think think about if you were in their chair and you mm-hmm. found out a company you'd worked with for years or decades was thinking of selling, you, you immediately going to think, well, who is he selling to? Are they going to keep me? Are they going to replace me? It creates uncertainty and in this labor market right now where there's a shortage of labor and people are ter- leaving their jobs at the drop of a hat because right. people there's they don't know, want the there's shots a lot, or, of lo- yeah. lo- lot of opportunity out there for okay. people to change jobs and jump and so right now i would say as a general rule more often than not you should not you should try yeah. to uh, you know make sure that the buyer is serious number one You don't Mm -hmm. want to get people's expectations and fears up and then the buyer doesn't follow through. Uh, But once all the terms have been negotiated and everything, and basically the money is ready to be transferred into the bank and the deal is done, that's most likely uh, the time you want to tell. Now there are some situations that you have to share uh, that information because you may have people that understand the financial side of your business and You can't pull all the information together, and you need to include them. But as a general rule, you want to be very cautious because you create uh, uncertainty uh, within the company. And you want, and you want to make sure as a part of your negotiations. And I would say that a lot of entrepreneurs don't do this, and I think it's uh, unethical and criminal, in my opinion. You want to take care of the people that got you. Of the people, yeah. You yeah. want to make sure they're treated fairly. You want that part of the deal terms that they have job security, that they're taken care of. Uh, and you have to look for the buyer that fits that criteria. Right. Uh, I, I, I think you should not sell to a buyer that's going to start hacking and firing people. And, right. and uh, you know people invested a lot in you because they had confidence in you and you don't want to betray that trust
0: yeah but uh, but if if it's a matter of streamlining the processes or whatever and just getting rid of dead weight that's a different story
1: that's a different story yeah. because you should do that before yourself yeah. okay
0: you know, so you
1: should you 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 should get that uh, that business fine-tuned so right. most of the most of the things are done before the seller because you won't optimize the value of your business if you use the we talked a little bit about multiples if you let's say you can increase the multiple bottom line revenue to your profitability to your business by a hundred thousand dollars i'll just pick a number out there let's say you can increase the profitability of your business by a hundred thousand and you sell at a multiple of four Uh, That's $400,000 of additional uh, sales price that you'll get by increasing your profitability before your sale. Don't sell your business, you know, for X when you could get 4X for your business, uh, because the person that's going to come in and buy your business at X is going to do the streamlining and they're going to get the deal of the century. You should should benefit from that.
0: And that's net profit, right? Yeah. Mm Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to make sure of that because that's what we're trying to do. Is well, there after- are,
1: there are, yeah, there are some businesses that do sell as a multiple of revenue though. Uh, oh, you know, okay. Prof- for professional services companies like CPAs and doctors and dentists and people like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the traditional valuation, if they're a sole practitioner basically and don't have you know hundreds of people working for them or dozens of people working for them, uh, they sell often sell for a multiple of uh, annual billings.
0: Okay. So how can I reduce or eliminate the capital gains taxes that uh, will be owed when I sell my business?
1: Well, that's becoming a topic of hot debate right now because oh, yeah. uh, we, don't, we don't know what's going to happen with the current administration and their plans to uh, you know, totally eliminate by you know, taxing capital gains at the same tax rate as ordinary income. Uh, that's kind of the, at the one extreme. And then you have the, the other extreme is kind of leave it as is. Uh, and you know everything in between, we don't know where that's going to fall. But regardless of where it is, there is capital gains uh, involved. And so you really need to, uh, uh, depending on the size of your business and the type of business that you have, uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to greatly minimize and in some cases eliminate. Uh, at the time you sell uh, the capital gains and defer that capital gains and invest those money that you would normally sell your business for and pay the capital gains. Let's just take an example. Let's say you owe $100,000 in capital gains uh, and you have to write the check. You know, And so that $100,000 goes right over to Uncle Sam and into the treasury department and it gets spent right uh, and you have a hundred thousand dollars less now let's supposing you could use good tax planning you had a good tax advisor on board that was able to totally eliminate in some cases that hundred thousand dollars currently and you could invest that money uh, and let it grow over a period of 10 years and eventually at some point down the road or maybe your heirs uh would pay the capital gains but that that money doubles and triples over that time so you had a hundred thousand dollars. That hundred thousand dollars turns into two or three or four hundred thousand dollars down the road, uh, and uh, at that some at some point in time, then you start systematically liquidating those investments and and keeping an eye on your tax rate at the time that you're you're mm-hmm. exiting. you're mm-hmm. now you're retired and your income is lower, and you can plan right. those liquidation events. Uh, sometimes you can perp- permanently defer or sometimes eliminate capital gains altogether. And wow. so it, most, most uh, business owners just think capital gains and paying taxes is a necessary evil. And they think about it after the sales closed and their accountant tells them, oh, you owe $100,000 in, in capital gains. What? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was going to be so much. Uh, you should uh, go through that process before. Uh, I can't tell you how many times people are surprised and it impacts their investable money in their retirement because they have to write a big check because they didn't do any planning. I mean, there's some simple things you can do to spread that capital gains out right. or, or as I said, in some cases, eliminate part or all of it.
0: Right. So what if a buyer wants me to, to carry a portion of the purchase price in the form of a promissory note? Is that good, bad, what?
1: Depends. Um, generally, it's not a good thing. Uh, In today's environment where money is relatively cheap, you would like the buyer to go out and borrow money against the business and pay you cash so you can walk away from the business and there's no liability. Generally, when that happens, the the value of your business will be a little bit lower because you have cash in hand. Uh, A lot of times, uh, depending on the size of the transaction and how the transaction is uh, structured, they'll want you to stay on for a transition period of time and they will do what is called an earnout, where mm-hmm. they're going to give you your asking price. Let's say you're asking a million dollars for your business, as an example. Uh, they'll say, we'll give you $700,000 in cash, uh, we'll give you $300,000 in earnout, but we're gonna give you your asking price of a million dollars. Uh, but you have to stay for three years and you have to meet these revenue growth targets or these profitability targets or, or these gross margin targets or whatever. Now, keep in mind that a lot of times that the guy on the other side of the table, depending on who the buyer is, they do multiple deals. And so this may be your first rodeo and uh, you don't know the games that can be played. And how deals are structured, they will structure deals that, in many cases, are virtually impossible mm-hmm. for you to earn the earnout uh, because you don't control how profits are contributed or computed. Wow. Uh, you, they may rob you of a marketing budget so you can grow revenue, so you wouldn't be able to hit revenue targets because you used to be in control and could allocate your marketing expense as you saw fit. But now you have a new owner that may. Uh, know that they can not pay you three hundred thousand dollars in earnout by restricting your marketing budget and uh, believe believe it or not there are people that really do that and this is part of their strategy so you want to be very careful and again this comes with having the right advisors around you both as m a M&A advisor or business broker as well as a transaction attorney that's not your family divorce attorney or family law attorney, but someone that specializes uh, in business law and and acquisitions and sales. So uh, you wanna have the right people uh, at the table uh, representing you. And if you do, you you can protect yourself.
0: I might be opening a whole can of worms here, but what about ESOPs, employee-owned buyouts?
1: Great strategy, wonderful when it fits. Uh, it has to be, uh, uh kind of a, 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 tailored fit situation, uh, for it to be, to work. Uh, it can be a great thing for the employees. It can be a great thing for, um, the owners of the company because, uh, they can, it's a very tax advantaged, um, structure for an owner can be, if it's structured right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the real problem is, is that it's a government administered program. It's basically a trust, like a retirement trust. Right. And uh, anytime, you know, ERISA requirements and anytime you get into, you know, regulated uh, securities, basically, mm-hmm. uh, it becomes uh, expensive to administer. So mm-hmm. depending on the size of the deal, uh, sometimes, because you have to have audited financial statements, you have to have valuation statements done on an annual basis, and those can be really expensive. And, um, you know, it it just depends, you know, if if it's structured right, and the motivations are right, and everyone wins in a situation like that, if it's affordable, given the size of the company, a smaller company, generally, uh, doesn't make any sense when you have a dozen or two dozen employees type of thing, Uh, the administrator and the the sales, you know, yeah, Fewer employees generally means lower sales volumes and lower sales volumes means lower profitability and lower right. profitability means that you don't have a lot of extra money to throw around at administering something like this. And it may, mm-hmm. you, you, you may be making $200,000 a year and 50 or $60,000 of it goes out to, you know, get the annual valuation for, you know, the ESO Yeah, budget. okay.
0: Okay, so what are three things I can do that will have the most impact on the value of my business?
1: We could talk about this all day. <laughs> really. but the three biggies, I think if I were to talk uh, the three big big things is one, which is so so obvious, and we've talked about it here, it's just <laughs> your frame of mind is mm-hmm. you know start thinking about it. Not that you have to spend a lot of time <clears throat> doing work work to you know, structure an exit plan years in advance, mm-hmm. but start thinking about it. Start getting into the frame of mind. How, when you're negotiating uh, a new lease agreement, when you're hiring a new employee, uh, what is that? A, uh, do you have employment agreements in place? Right. Uh, confidentiality agreements. When you're having software written for your company, uh, who owns the software rights, you know, if if you right. j- just little things like getting a document for your outsource vendor for your software, that you own that work product, uh, because somebody down the road, if they're sophisticated, they're going to ask for that. And if you can't provide it, then it, it creates risk. And what right. risk does, it drives down value, mm-hmm. uh, or increases the terms, and so it's that thought process. Second is replace yourself. Yeah. Uh, if, if you are essential to the operation of the business, you are capping the valuation because you the universe of buyers are just smaller. Right. You want to open up the universe of buyers as broad as you can. And that is most easily done by not being a bit essential to the everyday operations of the business. Now that may take... A year, two, three, five years to pull off. But that's why you got to start thinking about it now. Right. And probably the last thing I would say, and there's a number of things. I'm actually writing a book on this whole topic. It's called Pack Your Parachute. And uh, it's after the metaphor of pilots don't pack their parachute when their engines right. are on fire.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: you know, you, you have the parachute packed and ready to go if something un, unforeseen happens. But uh, one of those items in that process of packing your parachute or getting your business ready for a sale is to make sure that you take due care of having accurate documentation and financial statements, which uh, um, probably in a great majority of the cases are not up to snuff. Right. And uh, if you can just do those three things, uh, you'll increase the value of your business by 50, 100%, if not more.
0: Cool. Okay. Okay. So we're at the end of another podcast here. And Martin, can you um, tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you should they want to?
1: Well, I, I think that every entrepreneur now I'm prejudiced here, but I wish I would have had the podcast business exit stories to listen to because it's all about stories, real stories by real people that where it worked out well and where it didn't work out so well. And the key takeaways, if you listen to the hundreds of uh, stories that are on the podcast, you can't help, but learn something that's going to impact your business. So just businessexitstories.com, or go to Apple podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts and right. type in business exit stories. And I have a report that people can uh, kind of give some information like we've talked about here today uh about how to double the amount of money you put into your pocket when you sell your business. It's kind of based on that. So you can just go to business exit stories forward slash report two, the numeral two, report two forward slash two. Uh and just download the report. You'll you'll uh find it it'll be an interesting uh okay. bit of information for you. And
0: we'll and we'll put those links into the transcripts when we upload the the podcast. Great,
1: I appreciate that.
0: Okay. Um, so that concludes our podcast for today. Um, please uh, leave a review on any of the streaming platforms you are listening to us on today or go to our Charged Up Studio Facebook page and leave a review there. Charged Up Studio is a product of Academy Academy, the e-learning system designed specifically for the micro-business owner. For more information go uh, or to register for many of our courses, go to Market Ademy Academy. I look forward to talking more with you next week when we will be spending our time with another exciting guest eager to help small business owners like yourself. Talk to you then and go out and have a charged up week. Bye-bye. Been a lot of fun.
1: been a lot of fun. You did great, great chat.